Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So um, just to give you some background, so this is um, a new Hypebeast radio show called mm-hmm. The Business of Hype. It was Kevin and I sort of talking about like what podcasts really need and the idea that everyone sort of, all of us inspire people to like go out and follow their dreams and quit their day job and do their thing. But then a lot of young people do it. And then I hear like, well, what do I do now? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the challenges with real logistical stuff, trademarking, legal, banking, like, you know, financing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I want to sort of concentrate on, kind of like getting into like the real nitty gritty business side of things, which is a side that like very rarely gets exposed. From Hypebeast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Yoon is a polymath, the pure definition of the word. You just can't describe someone like her using one adjective. I first connected with Yoon and her partner Verbal around 10 years ago. I remember we ran into each other at the old Stussy Soho store, the one with the headporter store above it, and we stayed connected ever since. Back then, I thought Yoon was a dope graphic designer. In the early 2000s, graphic design was in an era of crazy Photoshop filters and an explosion of new typefaces. Too many fonts, too many filters. With all these new tools at your disposal, it was hard to stay true to graphic design roots. I was one of those design nerds that spent way too much time adjusting the kerning in a header. And I could tell in five seconds of looking at Yoon's work that she had the same eye for detail. But for Yoon, as the years progressed, graphic design would morph into music packaging, accessory design, jewelry design, and then fashion design. The thing is, the process was a very slow build. Each new skill set was a careful, deliberate layering into the person that Yoon would become. To me, viewing her from afar, it didn't feel like someone trying to do everything all at once. It felt more like like a martial arts master slowly graduating from one belt to the next. So the release of this episode is timely, because just last week, Yoon was named Dior Ohm's jewelry designer. And coming off news that Virgil Abloh would become Louis Vuitton's new artistic director, this is a groundbreaking moment in fashion. What this means for race, what this means for minorities, what this means for gender empowerment, and what this means for street culture as a whole. What a time to be alive. I do want to start with just some brief background info for the people who might not know you. Um, I think what's really interesting about your story is that it's like, there's a there's a deep, wide melting pot mm-hmm. of what makes up Yoon and Ambush, right? Like, I think a lot of people see you today and don't realize that like cities like Seattle and Boston play a huge part in your in your upbringing and you know it's not just like Tokyo and Paris but like you have this very sort of like long journey yeah you know so maybe talk about like the very beginning of how like you know Korea and America sort of played a part in your in your upbringing my dad was in US Army so um, I was born in Korea but because whenever he gets stationed so we have to move so we, um, I was born there, but you know, my dad, we had to move to Hawaii. We lived mm-hmm. there for a little bit, went back to Korea and then we went to California, went back to Korea and then, and he, um, decided to leave army. So we settled in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Seattle for a little bit and then went to college in Boston mm-hmm. and that's where, um, I met Verbal and I was like working as well. And my dream was to go to New York to work as a graphic designer because, mm-hmm. you know, that was all the big publishing houses were. Yeah. But um, 
around that time he was like why don't you just come out to tokyo to see if you want to you know just kind of you know you know test out like maybe there's something for you to do right and moving to another country wasn't something that i was like had in mind because mm. for me it's just like america you know like i grew up in the states and i went to school so it's like for me it was like okay next big step is like making it in the big city kind of mm. thing but you know i was like why not you know i'm still kind of i guess if things don't work out i can always come back here and then i've been stuck <laughs> so at that point you consider yourself an american i still i you know like I'm Korean, but I, it's funny. Like I have this conversation a lot with a lot of people who kind of grew up in different places. I I don't know why. Maybe we similar people attract each other or not. But I kind of see myself as an alien. I don't really have home home, uh-huh. you know, because I was never born and raised in one town. Where you know, if I go back, like my still like my friends are there, all my family's there. It's like none of that exists. Yeah. Even like my parents' families are all like. All over the world, mm-hmm. like even my family's all over the world. So you're kind of homeless. Yeah, I'm homeless. <laughs> like, but like that's, you know, like when I was a kid, I used to hate it so much mm-hmm. because I moved around so much and I changed school so much that you know, like I couldn't make friends because yeah. by the time I'm about to become friends with everybody in school, it's like I gotta go. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I I still feel really lonely because it's just like okay, what's next? I'm moving again, and I didn't feel like I um. I didn't want to invest my time like getting to know people because you kind of knew you would leave. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I That's actually so sad. <laughs> no, it's not sad because in res- um, retrospect, I feel like it, it was all meant to be because all those times that I spent um, reading about stuff in the libraries or like listening to music and everything, those are those stuff that's like feeding me right now to the creative work alone instead exactly. of partying and going yeah. sleeping over friends' house and stuff. Yeah, right. Like those, because that, you know, you know, people always like, where do you get, you know, inspirations from all these mm-hmm. things? Those are the stuff yeah. that, that all those hours I buried myself in the li- public library, right. <laughs> reading all the materials I exist in the library, mu- listening to music, like AM radio, college stations, like digging up old bands and like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I kind of like, you know, it back then used to be something kind of like, you know, kind of lonely. But then in like, when I look back, I'm like. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Seattle was high school? Uh, middle school, high school. Okay. And then you graduated high school and then went to Boston, Boston College or university? University. Okay. Yeah. With a major in what? Graphic design and minor in art history. Okay. And in high school, you already knew that you wanted to do graphic design. That was like your set dream. I think I knew in middle school. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I think, um, what was the project? I, you know, we used to do these projects where... Um, we have to do presentation. I think it was like my science class or something. We had to make like all these props and and visual, like we have to draw things, charts and all these things to like explain, you know, do the presentation in front of your class. Yeah. I don't, I loved it so much. Like creating the presentation. Creating things, like doing the graphics. How can I make this, all this stuff? Another thing that I got into graphic design is all those fashion magazines I was reading in the public library, mm-hmm. Vogue and everything. I cause, Because Seattle was, it wasn't the same place back then. It was like really, you know, the industry wasn't really like booming as it's now. Yeah. That was a beginning of Starbucks. Like a small so, town. Exactly. Yeah. It was the beginning of Amazon and all those big corporates. Yeah. So um, like, you know, like it, it was a dingy city. It was kind of, you know, like 
economy wasn't like it was all right yeah. and you know it's just weather's always gray and rainy and mm-hmm. stuff and i used to look at those fashion magazines and think like man like what is this world right <laughs> like you know i gotta go to new york were you i don't know why but like it was all <laughs> about yeah, yeah that was it yeah. exactly were you more in love with the fashion or the graphics both okay because i didn't like i was like looking at those images thinking like who are these beautiful people they look so happy yeah and like how can i work like i want to be there right and then you know in my like young mind i was just kind of like i mean i don't i didn't think like designing fashion or jewelry was something that i wanted to do mm-hmm. it's just that the picking up the magazine reading it i was just like hey i want to do something like this yeah were you already dressing like in middle school and high school like different than other people yeah really yeah. i was like i um yeah and I, I don't think i ever blended in really yeah okay and then why did you pick like boston out of curiosity why not fit or something like that uh it's because i did get into like you know a few colleges and i did get accepted uh-huh. and and i did get into nyu too oh what was the reason for Boston? I knew I wasn't going to study if I go to New York. Oh, so you're protecting yourself from New York City. I wasn't protecting, I was being real. And, and then oh, besides that, BU gave me full scholarship. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was being practical reason. I'm a okay. pretty practical person. Did, uh, did your parents support your idea of being like a graphic designer? They were cool with it? I don't think they... I mean, you know, in general, like my mom, I, you know, she wanted to study art all her life. Mm-hmm. So she did go to school for it, but she couldn't pursue it because her family business, like, you know, my grandpa, like, messed up the business. So they, you know, like, they went bankrupt. There are all those issues. So um, she got married early because mm-hmm. she felt like that was the first, like, the right thing to do yeah. as a daughter. And it just kind of like, you know what I mean? Follow the Asian path. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she really installed in my head, like, from really young you know as a woman yeah. like you know all this stuff is great too but make sure you do what you love oh good and i you know it's good to like have your job have your time and all this stuff mm-hmm. like it was really installed in me from like when i was really young yeah although she did the asian mom thing by like you know really showing me how to cook and all these things uh-huh. and making sure that you know i help out and on the side and all these things but yeah i think that that like that side of mom like um Help me to be who I am. Yeah. yeah. And dad was a military army guy. Yeah. Was very he, strict. Did like he understand the art world? No, he, I didn't know until like, you know, he told me he wanted to be a journalist. Oh. Like he wanted to be in that media uh-huh. and he didn't pursue it. I just didn't know why. Mm. He, like, you know, but um, yeah. So there was no reservations about graphic design they no. were sort of supportive no they were very open okay, i think good. it wasn't like one of those asian parents like you have to become doctor or yeah, lawyer. yeah like it wasn't that they were just like as long as like you know you you know make living and you're mm-hmm. not going to be hungry <laughs> like you know it's yeah. just make sure you do well right. like you know and then so at boston is when you met your soon-to-be husband yeah verbal who at the time was not a musician yet right like verbal is now a, like a well-known musician but back then he was like uh, no, actually, he was doing music okay. when he was young and in high school. But um, I guess his parents didn't want him to do music because, mm-hmm. you know, being the, being the typical Asian parents, they just thought that... That's not a real career. Yeah, you're not going to make any money, like <laughs> right. go to college, be something else. Yeah. So he, I guess like he did get record 
contract when in high school, but oh. he didn't get it. He oh. didn't take it. Take it. Okay. So he dropped it. Went to high. I mean, college. And I think one of the um, summer breaks, he went back home and and he was just helping out his friend who was making demo tape, mm-hmm. which just became the um, one member of the M Flow now. Yeah, and that was he, during Boston. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he yeah, was already quite big in in Japan, but while going to he college. was starting to get big, I guess. Yeah. But like, I didn't really pay attention in Jap- like what's going on in Japan, right? Because I mean, like, it's you know, it's not like back then. You know, it wasn't like. Like how do I say it? Like instantly you can check things out. Like yeah. you know, so you have to <laughs> right. kind of hear from other or people, go there. Yeah. go there to really yeah. see what was going on. So yeah, I mean, it was just like I, I, I knew it was blowing up, but like I didn't know the extent yeah. how big it was. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I wasn't really following Asian pop back mm-hmm. then. So I mean, right. I still don't really in a way, yeah. but like, um, yeah. So what were your influences in like? You know, what are you listening to? What are you watching on TV? Are you like full on listening to only like hip hop and R and B, like American? No, I got into hip hop and R and B more at um, in Boston because uh-huh. like, there's so much, it's like a lot of my friends came from New York, and mm-hmm. for them it was all about that. Yeah, that's how I got introduced to more hip, like you know that genre. Okay. I think from college. Not that I wasn't really listening to it before, but mm-hmm. Seattle was definitely it was a different city. So, oh yeah, and yeah. Seattle has its own crazy music scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were like into and then, indie yeah. rock and stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. I was like an emo kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nirvana and yeah, <laughs> Pearl Jam. I mean, who didn't? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all this the, the sub pop and like you know all right. that like yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So what about like movies and TV and stuff? You're watching all like American stuff. I was, but I was more into like really local, like college, like programs, like oh, you know, okay. like the more local scene of like you know, like they used to have these all these like random programs in the middle of the night, like talking about indie movies and all those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like just always into something that was off, not major. Yeah. So like for me, it was more interesting to dig into those things, like collecting like, um, like uh, local newspapers and like college, like university, like like downtown and all these different areas and I was like reading like, like zines yeah and zines like and all this stuff uh-huh. reading about like what's going on and I was underage so I can go to these places yeah. but just I loved reading about it and like like right. you know checking them out on like radios and like TVs and all that yeah. stuff yeah. did you finish Boston? Uh, did I finish Boston? yeah did you graduate? Uh, yeah of course okay so you graduate and then you're thinking I'm gonna go to New York make it to the Big Apple finally, right? That was like your sort of next step That's intention. what I thought I was going to yeah. do. But, I mean, it's not as easy as, you know, it's like your your wish is one thing, but reality is another thing. Okay. So I ended up working in a graphic design firm in Boston doing like very corporate stuff. Which one? Like, um, it was like a small design firm, but, you know, we had clients, like all the local hospitals. Uh-huh. We I, were doing something for Harvard, like business school. So it was like very like stiff, like graphic yeah. design kind of thing. But... Even that, you know, like it, it taught me because I learned how to um, like manually create visuals for companies. Like standards and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Right? Because yeah. it's quite, you know, like that's what I learned, I think, that stage when I was working there. Right. And I think that comes through in your work now. Mm-hmm. There's definitely like a graphic designer's eye on everything that you do now, you know? Yeah. And it's like very sort of like... Um, I don't know if the right word's clean, but it's like you could tell that someone knew the rules of graphic yeah, design I'm, I'm, and making I'm, this. Yeah, I get really tedious about even like the type, yeah, kerning and like, all that stuff. And people get like, "What?" But I'm like, "No, trust me, you're missing like one point right now." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so verbal 
convinces you at, at the time you're working at this graphic design studio? Is that when he convinces you right around then? Yeah, because I was I was bored. Yeah. I was like, you know, you're young and you're like, I want to do something creative. Like, mm. I want to do this and that. And he was just like, well, New York's okay, but just come out Tokyo. Because back then, I mean, Tokyo was booming. Yeah. It was a lot of creative stuff. Yeah, what year is this? It was like um, early, it was like 2003, four-ish. Okay. Yeah. So I was like... I guess. Had you been there before? Mm, once. Okay. Yeah. And he was already getting his career off the ground at this yeah, point. Of yeah. Course, okay. Yeah. So I mean, was he like, you don't have to worry. I'm going to take care of you. I mean, he did. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, going to another country, not being able to speak the language, totally all this stuff, it's just like scary. It is scary. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even that, like you know, it did take me like a few years to learn Japanese and be um, where I was. But me, when I was. You know the fact that I moved around so much when I was young, like yeah, it uh, it was no. you're comfortable yeah. to just yeah, pack just, up and go. Yeah. You're used to it, yeah. And I, I I can just pick it up instantly. Were you thinking, and maybe you and Verbal, were you guys thinking like this was a temporary stopover until a short move? I, like I wasn't thinking too deep. I was just kind of like, let's see. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. And then like I never, I I didn't even think I was gonna be doing what I was doing back then. Right. I was just looking for something to do, and probably graphic design, right? Yeah, yeah. But even that, it's like not easy because I don't, I couldn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. So what can I do? It's like just find job that whatever I can around me, right? Yeah. And the one of the first things I started doing was just helping out with the styling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because like even back then, like the genre of hip hop was quite, I think, new to Japanese market. Yeah. So. It was like um, premature, like it was early. It looked like early days of New York hip hop. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, they. I think their understanding is just that, and it was like stuck, right? right. So whenever there was like something going on, they would, you know, we would ask for um, clothes or you know whatever. They'll just so bring like Fugu jerseys and mm-hmm. all this stuff, and we're extra like, you serious? Large, yeah, right. like seriously, like really? Uh-huh. And and we used to get so upset. So we. Um, I mean, I never, I, I don't know anything about styling, but I knew what he liked. Yeah. So like, we were like, give, me, give us the budget. We'll mm-hmm. just go get what he, he want to wear. Yeah. And just let that be. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, I don't think, I didn't believe that that, because maybe because I, I come from more listening to rock background. I didn't, the artist on stage should be the same as off stage. Okay. You, you shouldn't know? have a costume. Exactly. Right, right. It's very easy for a young creative, especially one who finds themselves in a new environment, to just, you know, go with the flow. To say, hey, this is the way it's been done, so let's just go with it. I don't want to rock the boat. What's really cool about Yoon is that she took her roots of indie rock and Seattle, and here she is now sitting in an uber machismo hip-hop world in Tokyo, and she's saying, nah, we ain't doing it the old way. We're doing something different. This takes a ton of courage. The courage to not forget where you came from and speak up for what you think is right. So for me, it was just like, I knew he had the eccentric side and Mm -hmm. he liked all this like fashion brands, right? Like Dior Homme and like, you know, Raph Simmons and all those things. Why wear FUBU when you go on stage? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, this is early 2000, like three, four. They didn't get the concept of it because they still thought that rappers supposed to look like something. But we're like, no, we'll wear what he likes to wear. And that, yeah, I think he's like, it's funny, like, you know, now high fashion is something infused so well with hip hop. But Mm -hmm. like, he was already doing all that stuff 
being himself. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was like no one was telling him he wanted to wear those skinny Dior cut. Like, you know, remember right. Eddie Slimming making all this like skinny Dior almost stuff? Yeah. That's what he was performing in because right. he felt most himself in that, not okay. hip hop. So you acted as a stylist essentially. Not well, really just like I would say, I wouldn't say, I don't want, I don't know. I, that kind of gives me cringy to say I'm like <laughs> stylist, but I'm like, I just helped him out. Okay. Yeah. Because he didn't have to go get the clothes. So I was just like, I knew what he liked. Right. It's easy for me to just go get it then. Having to explain to someone, like, listen, that's what he's looking for kind of thing. Yeah. And so how do you now, because I remember before Ambush, yeah. you had um, Antonio Murphy Astro, right? Yeah, that's just one of those things that Verbal was just kind of, you know, you know, like, that's when that, you know, he started to make jewelry for fun. Because, you know, it was like, it was in, remember, like, all yeah. this, like, everybody, yeah, like, yeah, Nigo yeah. and, like, Pharrell, like, exactly. Yeah. So he was just making a few, like, jewelries for himself for, um, stage and uh -huh. you know whatever like and and um we we just knew few people could actually do fine jewelry mm -hmm. so we uh, asked commissioned them we, we had ideas sketches and everything and we just asked them to make us those pieces mm -hmm. and then it just got um got blown <laughs> well what was the do you remember like the first time where it kind of became something other than verbal and you guys making stuff just for verbal like was there an order was there a request from someone that was like oh wow this is something bigger now i think that the, the pow like the knuckle ring that he yes. made for fun i think that was a genesis of it because he made that that got a lot of attention because no one was doing like really pop graphic fine mm -hmm. jewelry back then mm -hmm. so that that caught a lot of attention and people wanted to make they wanted to buy but of course i can buy like you know huge piece like that yeah so um like we were like why don't we make it just smaller one mm -hmm. and a why don't we just ring. yeah let's just coat them in like neon colors because we're both so into neons i don't know why mm -hmm. and then like that was the genesis and i remember just kanye picked it up because he used to come a lot for teriyaki boys mm -hmm. and then you know like that was a start Okay. Well, so, I mean, I didn't even think we weren't even thinking about doing brands. We yeah. just made it, give it out to friends for fun, uh -huh. and then it just—that's when like buyers were like, "We need to have it." Okay. After Kanye wore it. I mean, we. I mean, Verbal was already big, yeah. so people wanted it. But like Kanye, Kanye wearing that, we got that from overseas mm -hmm, buyers, mm -hmm. like right. Sarah from Colette yeah. calling, and like you know, I remember that from yeah. like RSVP and like all these different people. We're like, uh, what is going on? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Where were you making these in Japan? Japan everything Japan. Everything still. Japan. Yeah. Still. Okay. So you just knew some jewelry makers that you could commission yeah. to do this. Yeah. Okay. Um, were you read like? After orders were being placed, who was taking care of like the logistics of, you know, like how we do you get know. people to pay? No like one... make an invoice, like open we, a bank that... account. <laughs> how are you doing this? I honestly, like you know, we we were just like no one taught us any uh -huh. of this stuff. We're just doing it like just we're literally packing and shipping out of our own house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Verbal was talking to them directly yeah. in person about, like, you know, taking orders and all those things. Right. And I was just more dealing with this, the, dealing, you know, the like, I, I don't want to say the creative side, but I'm just talking to factories and make sure everything's turning up okay. okay. Yeah. So we kind of split the roles that way. Right, right. But Verbal was actually taking the orders from people? Yeah. That's insane. And you guys were just packing it out of your home. Yeah. Like, literally, like, back then, there was a huge 
you know, that was the, you know, like, it was like around 2009, 10-ish, like, um, there was like, like a huge, like, electro boom in Japan, so we used to DJ a lot, because uh-huh. we used to actually throw a lot of parties locally, right. and there was like new merging scene coming out, and like, it, it, was, it was like a fun time for clubs, I think, mm-hmm. it was just, everything was popping off. And so, you know, we will be out until six in the morning because it would actually throw all this whole bunch of parties. And yeah. then, like, we'll come back and I wish we'll be actually packing so we can take it out next, like, that morning so wow. we can get to the store. Wow. Yeah. This is pre, like, e-commerce, too. Like Before. Yeah, like, yeah. people, like, how did they place the order? Like, just phone calls and emails. Email. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all done through email. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, okay, so when did the name Ambush come? Ambush, actually, we had it for... A bit. I think we Verbal got the name around 2003 or four, mm-hmm. and he got that name because he just thought that you know why not? Unless I I left that name up to him, mm-hmm. and he just thought that um ambush name was like it was perfect because we could just kind of release things whenever we feel like and mm-hmm. ambush people. Okay. So like seriously, we weren't thinking about doing like the stool brand, right? Like a jewelry brand. Yeah, he's like, let me a celebrity. So we're gonna do, and it was just literally we're just like making things we didn't know when where it was going uh-huh. but people wanted it so they want to order it we're like okay we'll just make some and deliver it to you yeah and things were just accumulating and escalating so around 2012 we're like if you're gonna do this like we should do it like as a brand mm-hmm. actually like present it like we didn't even know buying season or anything <laughs> so we'll be like like random month like we'll be like hey guys we made some new pieces you want to buy it and all the buyers will be like oh it's not buying season so we can't just pull out budget you know like oh, which i didn't yeah. even know yeah. yeah and then we start to figure out okay there's a buying season there's uh-huh. a thing called summer spring and winter fall and yeah. like all these things we're like okay let's just do this like thoroughly mm-hmm. with the collection right. like two times a year uh-huh. and then we can show it as Tenjikai and like all this stuff. That was 2012 and that's when we started to structure it more. There's a big lesson here. Yoon and Verbal had no idea what the hell they were doing. They didn't know about ordering seasons, buying budgets, taking orders, shipping orders, or getting paid. They knew they wanted to get their product out and it was the urgency of that above everything else that made Ambush happen. So often I hear great ideas, great concepts, and great brands just never get off the ground because the founders were too distracted about something that they weren't sure about. And in reality, you're never going to have the answers for everything. And if you wait to find out all those answers before you begin, the ship will very likely set sail without you on board. Take the plunge, otherwise you'll never know. And is it still just the two of you? It's still two of us. Okay. Did you ever bring in any partners when you wanted to be more, like, structured now? No, like, I mean, now, like, we, you know, partner with, like, you know, some people help us with, you know, different aspects. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you need that. Mm -hmm. There's so much you can do alone because I don't know everything. And Verbal doesn't know everything. Mm -hmm. So you do need help from, like, you know, other different people who are more expert at different things. But... We, um, no, we were actually doing everything because we wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. We wanted to learn what it's like to actually deal with the stores, buy it, learn with the factories as well. Because unless you know what you're doing, you cannot leave it up to other people and you cannot lead other people to do the right thing. Yeah, if you don't so, know how to do it. Exactly. You have right. to become a student first. And mm-hmm. then sometimes you have to learn from your mistakes. And I think it's quite important in the beginning stage of business. Because mm-hmm. unless you know what's right for you, yeah, 
Like you cannot get to that right place. Do you have employees now? Of course, yeah. How many employees do you have now? We have um, about 12 people now. Okay. Yeah. And you have a, a storefront as well, yeah. like a sort of workshop slash gallery yeah. slash. Because we have a studio right upstairs and then downstairs is a store. Okay. Yeah. And then so between, you have 12 people, they all work in that studio? Uh, yeah. Okay. Can you break down like what the people do? Upstairs, there's me, there's Verbal, but Verbal also does, you know, different work, not just Ambush. That's Ambush is the main thing he does. Yeah. You know, he's involved in different entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. So, like me, Verbal, and then there's Accountant. We have a production guys, like four of them sitting on this side. Next to my side would be, um, like, admin people, two of them, and then two interns. Mm -hmm. And then we have four... Um, shop stuff downstairs mm -hmm. and then that's we operate everything okay how hands-on are you with like um you know understanding you have to make this much amount of money every month or like rent and payroll like or, do you have like a firm understanding of all that or do you leave it to the accountants i do i like they need to report to me every day does it ever stress you out or get scary that like yeah because like fashion or anything creative is like you know it's you think it's just all easy and fun just creating things but at the end of the day like fashion is just like making candles or whatever you mm. make things and you sell it yeah. if you don't sell it you cannot do the next thing right so i mean it's not the money but for me what what makes me kind of excited and um is like understanding what product moves with our customers mm. Certain things that I thought I was so confident, like, oh, this is going to do so well in the collection, but they react to something else. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was just too thinking artistically. Yeah. So I need to pull my head out and be like, hey, maybe, no, but I think customers want something much more simpler. Right. That's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just learning the balance of it. Yeah. So me getting those reports doesn't stress me out so much, but it's just, it actually helps me clear. To understand what people want versus exactly. what you want. Yeah. Do you find that, sometimes your favorite thing is like the worst performing thing and vice versa like your least favorite piece is like the best selling thing yeah but even that is a balance too because you need to have creative like show pieces to tell the story of the collection yeah but you know but people not many people are bold enough to wear those things mm -hmm. or but they carry get this. depressed and the notoriety yeah but so, they're the they want a piece of something which ends up becoming much simpler ones. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So also that helps me to design it in a way that that I make this piece, but what element of that I can make it into something that everyone can own. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the challenges that when you first started to become a company, right? Um, and you decided like we're gonna get on calendar, we're gonna have a collection and everything. What were some of those immediate like oh shit like we didn't think about this stuff like learnings? Um managing people <laughs> yeah i think that's the hardest because it was two of you for so long and you guys did everything right so now oh not it's it's not about that it's like it's not about like you know delegating wasn't the thing it's okay. just that it's hard to find people and train them to understand your vision mm -hmm. and what you want to do and it takes such a long time to do that and by the time you do that it sometimes it works so well with the people sometimes no matter how much you invest in your time training them they don't get it right that, you know? that can definitely no. happen and so you wasted I, all your time I won't say wasted. I just, I like, I mean, yeah, at that moment, I'm like so pissed. Like, I'm just kind of like, what the F was that for? But sometimes you have to go through that to find the right people, too. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just look at human relationships. Like, it's like, um, like there's a Japanese word called, and 
end means like it's kind of like if it's meant to be meant to be if it's not it's not you know you can't that's it end just means that it's like it's kind of like i don't it's kind of like a destiny okay yeah fate. yeah fade yeah yeah okay and i think finding the right employees are like that too are you good at delegating yeah i don't like to micromanage people okay if they're good i let them do things if they make if they make a mistake i get on it but i'm not i don't i'm not the type who overlooks their shoulder and be like what are you doing mm. Cause I, but they also need to prove to me that, that they can do it well first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You seem like a... I f- feel like you're a micromanager, though. Because I, I feel like you know like, I'm a, everything. I'm a good field marshal. I notice I can read... If I walk into the room, yeah. I can read everything and I can pick out exactly who's not doing... Uh-huh. Who's doing something right. Right, right. I can Give me, like, two minutes. I can read uh-huh. everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, just in the, in the five minutes that I spent walking over from your booth here... I saw you delivering chocolates, asking your assistant what's going on, seeing Kevin about his appointment. Uh, he's saying he already took care of it, but you, already, you knew he had an appointment. Someone holding a piece, and you're like, why are you holding that piece in a place that it shouldn't be? That was all like literally in like three minutes from when we walked out of your booth. And I'm like, this girl like is on top of every, like there's nothing getting past you. I mean, I, guess <laughs> I have to. <laughs> It's, it's commendable. It's yeah. really commendable. I think a lot of business owners, especially who get like, you know, a lot of um, notoriety and fanfare, yeah. they tend to start to like believe their own hype and like just let it go. You know, like it, they start to think like, oh, yeah, I don't I, I don't have to like be delivering chocolates to my booth or like, you know, Why? Because... don't you want to take care of your employees? And no, I'm just saying some people. Like... Like, <laughs> You're so nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, but some people get, you know, bigger and, you know, then then their head is actually, in, you know, going on like they they head gets big and they just like. Don't forget people work basics. for you. They give you time and you can't do everything alone. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think like that's something that everyone has to realize that like it's not you. It's just that like, you have idea. You're the head. Like if you if you look at it as like human body, if mm-hmm. it's company, you might be the head, but in the heart. Yeah. But there's other parts of the body that needs to function with you. Right. And those are your employees, as so you have to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with Yoon here. As an individual, there is only so much you can do with your day. There was a time where I got really obsessed with time management. I started breaking down minutes I'd be awake, asleep, using the bathroom, eating, commuting, etc. And every second wasted would drive me crazy. I'd obsess about which subway car to stand on in order to reduce the commute by seconds. It got to the point where I hit maximum efficiency. Every minute in a 24-hour day was being utilized to its fullest potential. What the fuck do I do now? This is where the team matters most. It allows you to go beyond what a mere mortal can do in one day. And your ability as the founder to delegate and manage that team will ultimately be the deciding factor in whether your business succeeds or fails. So now that you have this sort of like established company with employees, what are some immediate challenges that you have now? Um, manpower, I guess, because mm-hmm. my ambition's quite big. <laughs> I think um, I need to learn. That's something that I always tell myself to kind of slow down a little bit, not slow down in a way that, okay, everyone, you know, stops, but it's just that, I'm in a privileged place where I can travel a lot and see great things. But 
not my employees because they have to stay in one place to take care of their stuff. Mm -hmm. So I can come back and share all these great stories of something that I just saw, but they're not going to get that. Yeah. That, so I can be over ambitious and be like, yo, we got to do this and we got to do all that stuff. But like they will not get it. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I mean by slow down is that like I like there's a one thing to be excited about where I want to go. But also like they're you know, it's just they're not going to be moving quick as a as I want them to, yeah. but I need to have patience mm -hmm. and also make sure that the, you know, I teach them enough that they, they'll believe in my vision mm -hmm. without knowing it. They'll invest their emotions in that. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm, and also, um, I don't know if manpower is the right word for that, but yeah, like I think that's the biggest <laughs> challenge is okay. that making sure that, that the great things I've, I've seen that I want to put into shape. Mm -hmm. They'll trust me and they'll follow me with it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, um, can you, you said you're a good field general. Can you sense when someone's not getting it like right away? Absolutely. It's like a vibe, right? Yeah. Like you just you sort of feel it. it. Yeah. yeah. And then what do you, so what's your solution when you, when you face something like that? Are you like, do you face it head on? Or are you the type of person that just, let's have a conversation and just sit down and like figure this out? Or are you the type that sort of lets it play itself out naturally? Depends what their role is. Mm. If it's production, I'm not going to let them just play out. That's just going to mess it up and yeah. it's going to cost me money. <laughs> right, right. But um, it depends. Mm. If, if they, if, I think it's in their attitude as well. If they don't understand it, yeah. and, but they're willing to understand it, I'm going to have more patience about it. Mm -hmm. But some people just don't open up as quick. Yeah. Their hearts just shut. And right. I know when, that's when they're supposed to go. They're not yeah fit for this company have you had to fire people oh, yeah really yeah it, you sound like you've done it a lot i don't we can't fire legally in japan oh, yeah so yeah we have to, to find a way to like draw them out of the company <laughs> make their lives miserable yeah. and make them quit base is that what you have to do make them quit um i can't make them quit but you kind of you know you know i i don't make people quit but I have my standards. If you can't meet it, I like I'll make it pretty clear to them that they're not doing their job. Okay, is that something you dread doing, or you're fine with firing people? I don't dread it because at the end of the day, like I look at it like, like we had issues with a lot of production people. I mean, deadlines, deadline, and I need to meet mm -hmm. and I need to deliver. I mean, for me, it's just like a simple solution. It's just, if you can't do that, then you should be here. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's going to cost me, like, not just financially, but, like, my relationship with, and the, with clients. Yeah. You know? It's right. not worth Right. Yeah. Man, ice cold. You have to be, though. You have to, I think you have to be really clear about those yeah. situations. I hate firing people. It's like, I dread it. I hate having that conversation. I... <laughs> Legally, we can't fire people in Japan, so I never <laughs> okay. fired anyone. <laughs> um, tell me some um, pros and cons of having a business with your significant other. I think finding time. Yeah. How do you separate personal and business? Or is there no separation? It's, it's, it's all like mingled up. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to find the way to like mentally draw the line, I think. Like we try not to talk about work at home, but you can help it because it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. And because creative work, so you can't just be like, okay, Five I'm done. Yeah, yeah, like I'm done. It's right. like you constantly have to like think about it, and you have to think about what's gonna happen next day and all this stuff. So um, yeah, we're working on it. I think mm -hmm. we just have to really like draw the line and be like, okay, don't pick up the phone during dinner. Let's not think about this. Like 
on Sundays or you know you know what I mean. You just have to really draw the line. Like we're not gonna talk about like you know you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. After a certain hour, let's just not talk about work. Let's talk about something other than work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, you are uh, a minority in in many different ways, right? So obviously you're a minority Asian. You're a minority because um, you're a Korean. In Japan, so you're a minority in that aspect. Mm-hmm. You were a minority in America. Like you've never been in a situation where you were like the norm. It seems like, you know. And being a designer in this world too is also very sort of like male-driven, right? How do you navigate being like you know Asian American, female, Korean, living in Japan, not speaking your native language, and doing all of this? Like, is that something that's constantly on your head, like in your mind? Yeah. It's a constant everyday struggle. Cause I wouldn't say the word struggle. I know in back of my head that I'm never gonna be one of them. Yeah, I'm not. It's right. just so, you're never gonna be French. You're never gonna be Japanese. You're never gonna be no. male. <laughs> but there's a lot of advantage that I have they don't have. Mm-hmm. So I I rather just I don't want to dwell on that side. Mm-hmm. But I just want to focus on like positive things that I have that they don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, like. My bringing up, like we talked about earlier, but like I can't instantly connect with anybody (laughs) because I grew up in so many different places and I was exposed to so many different people. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I'm able to do what I'm doing right now and also being able to come to Paris and do all this stuff without feeling awkward. Mm -hmm. Because like for me, it's just like, I don't know, like in a way that it was almost like training me to be where I am. Mm -hmm. Not only I can do what I can do. So... But, I mean, I do understand there are some times that I know no matter how much I can do, like, I'm never going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. But but I think the world's really changing. Like, there's so many different people coming from different backgrounds, working in different industry. Otherwise, it was once ruled by a specific type of people. Yeah. So, um, I think it's going to be good. Like, Do you I, find yeah. that in Japan, because it's so traditional there, do you still feel blocks sometimes? Yes. There's a glass in me. Really? But, you know what? It's okay. Because I think... I um at the end if you just become successful mm-hmm. they have to accept you. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to be naive to all the walls built around you. There's a certain peace to ignorance. Yoon on the other hand recognizes everything that's happening around her. She understands her position and the jockeying that is constantly happening. It's almost like being on a packed subway train, you know? You have to fight for your spot, but not in a way where you're like a bull in a china shop but by standing firmly and confidently. Using this challenge as a motivation and a source of strength is one of the things that I respect most about Yoon. And she puts it best here. When you become successful, they have to accept you. And okay, so let's, that's a good transition because you're becoming very successful. You've always been successful, but I think in the last year you've been accredited with a lot of success from the sort of like, um, the gatekeepers of the world, right? So like CFDA or Vogue are like sort of throwing you accolades and a lot of people are like, wow, ambush you and this like overnight success. But like you've been at it for 15-ish years at this point, right? How does it feel now that like you're finally getting recognition that is due? I don't really, I, I still feel like we're a young brand because, mm. you know, because we didn't, there was no like business guy like doing everything for us. Like everything, we're just still students. We're still learning as we do it. Uh-huh. I still don't know so much things about this like fashion system and all these things. So no, I'm like really like I, I really still feel like a student. Mm-hmm. 
in all aspects. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like, in, you're like, no, okay. yeah, like, like, there's no such thing as overnight success. Overnight usually means like 10 years more, like, in any small businesses, I think. That's, I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. Another thing, like, when we're LVMH price, like, which I, like, Really, I'm so honored that they even like, you know, picked us up and be able to go to finalists among everybody who went to finest fashion school. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a training in fashion. Yeah. It's self-taught. Right. And a winter came to my booth during like semifinal um, competition. And then she was asking like, which school did you go to? I, t- I told her I didn't go to school. Mm-hmm. I was like, I taught myself this. And she was like, you did pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like, I mean, still, I'm still learning. Right. How much of is how much of it is skill versus luck? Because there's got to be some luck involved. You think you do you believe in luck? Uh, I'm asking you. I don't believe in luck so much. Mm, really? I think you just have to be prepped. So it's skill and hard work. Yeah. Okay. You always have to be ready. Okay. So I think being ready is always like making sure you always study, making sure that you believe in that that moment's gonna come one day, mm. being prepared for that moment. Mm. And I think luck is that just timing. Right. But you have to be ready for yeah. when that luck comes. Yeah. Nothing like not there's I don't believe in luck. Like it's just by chance, like, you know, like we're granted this. No. I think it's just being ready at the right time. Mm. And you don't know what that time is. Right. That's why you have to be ready. Mm-hmm. And to be ready, you just have to be like student all the time. Mm. And always be on your toes. Yeah. Um, I have one last part. So I wanna find out like about how you balance all your, let's just call it work. I'm not even talking about personal, yeah. but like your, you know, appearances and like you do shoots and, you know, you're here selling your latest collection and then there's designing the collection and then there's like making sure your team is executing on that collection, Yeah. right? How do you personally balance all of this? Uh, what do you mean by balance? Like, how do you, ju- yeah, like juggle it all, like. Like we're just on a constant schedule. How do you like, keep your schedule? Like, like I just you keep it yourself. Do you have like fifty assistants that are like telling you? No, where I don't to have an assistant. You don't have one assistant, no. so you keep everything just like you know what you need to do. Yeah. And then, do you ever feel like it's not that I don't want an assistant? <laughs> oh, I'm just hiring. <laughs> hey guys, like, she's no, hiring. it's just that, yeah. Like anyone who's capable of wanting to move to Tokyo, please apply. <laughs> like it's um. I, you know, like, I just make sure, like, all, everyone's, like, prepped mm-hmm. in right. advance. Yeah. And we just have a lot of head planning. And everything's count. We, you know, um, right now I'm, like, making sure that everything is um, prepped, like, year and a half. Nothing's going to happen exactly year and a half. But it's good to have a general idea of where we want to go so that, that we can quickly adopt if something needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. Like, not, like monthly right so right now we're in january 2018 you're already beginning to think about next summer 2019 summer wow okay so you're pretty on top of things yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) and you need but you'd like an assistant that could help you with this yeah yeah but i think in order to do that also um um there yeah but i think i'm gonna find good people but i like you know some of the stuff i have up there like they all come from they don't come from fashion background Mm. i had a girl who worked at google and she came, I hired her because like she, when she came for an interview and I told her what her position was and I told her like, you know, people often think about fashion as like something like champagne and parties, but I'm, I'm letting you know, it's going to be a lot of grunt work. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you are okay with that, 
then you're more than welcome to work here. And yeah. she said, I quit Google because I want a more challenge. So I was like, okay, if you think we're going to be more challenged than Google, then welcome. And she's like the best. Wow. Yeah. What are some interview tips? Like if you're, if someone's interviewing with you, what should they have prepared? You know, I used to like trying to, I, I, you know, I kind of, there's an inferiority. I used to think like, oh, if, if they come from fashion background, they're going to know more than me. Like, you know, if they worked at certain fashion companies and all this stuff, but and there's no bullshit. People lie on resume. So don't more than the name of where they used to work, I would really recommend to test their EQ. What's EQ? Like, you know, I'm more than IQ. Uh-huh. What I mean by EQ is at the end of the day, like I'm spending more time with them than anybody, right? Because yeah. I'm there with them almost like 12 hours each day because we work a lot. Right. We all have to be able to like read each other and understand each other. Mm-hmm. It's not just knowledge here. Yeah. It's all human relationship. Okay. And that dynamic makes everything happen. So it's more important that they that they vibe with you, like their personality and their emotions vibe yeah. with you than their intelligence and academics or resume. Because you can always learn. Right. And also like people who have the right mindset and mm-hmm. who's willing, teaching is easy. Mm-hmm. It's a skill. You just yeah. learn it. Yeah. But, but some people are just if they don't have the personality to who are not who's not a team player, mm-hmm. who doesn't know how to like like um, socialize? You cannot teach that at a certain age. Right, right. So no. Okay. All right. There's some advice for you if you want Yoon's assistant job. <laughs> <laughs> Any last bits of advice that you want to give to people who are starting out? I mean, you must get asked all the time, like, how do I, how do I do what you do? What is what is like some sage advice you give to young people? You know, there's no such thing as like quick success. You really have to work hard. Like even you know maybe. You know, I, I don't even think we're successful. Some people say we are. You guys are doing so well and all this stuff. But, like, I still look at myself and compare myself to people who are much, much better than me. And I see how much more we need to go. Um, and I still go to the office, like, 7 in the morning. And I come out at 1 a.m. every single day. Because I have to overlook every part of the business. And this is just cold fact. Like, you think about, like, designing. People often think, like, oh, it's, like, creative. I just, you know, come up with ideas. No, designing real designer for me it means you're designing every aspect of the company it's not just the visuals but how you want to run the company um company model how do you want to do the sales and everything and those things take time so if you want to do it be willing to commit not just with your word but with like mind Mm -hmm. and physically and to make sure you put that to shape and don't take it lightly okay good advice All right, thank you very much. Thank (laughs) you. That was awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. You can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. And you can subscribe to us wherever you listen. I personally use Overcast. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at Jeff Staple. Please do that. I love hearing your comments. Check us out on the web at businessofhype.com. And you can email any questions you might have to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is directed by Daniel Nevetta. It's edited and produced by Bright Young Things. You can check them out at byt.nyc. It's engineered by Patrick Morris and the great Nathaniel Reynolds Tingley III. This was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location in Paris, France. I am Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.